What are we gunning for here at the project? What's our vision for humanity? I want to ask you this question this morning. Is it just coping? Is it just functioning? Or is it a full-throated attempt at a restoration to what we were originally intended to be? You see, at the project here, you know what we're interested in is we're interested in shalom. Now, shalom, according to the Bible, is not just peace, but it's actually things operating the way that they are meant to operate. And some people, uh, maybe some of you who were here last week, maybe you heard some of the stuff about the way that God's actually created us to be. And there's part of you that's just going, yeah, but I, I think I could probably cope. I could probably get through okay without having to do all of that stuff. You know, like I talked about how we're always operating relationally with God. We operate relationally with other people. We're part of family. Went through a whole bunch of that kind of stuff last week. And some of you might go, yeah, I I think I'd be okay. I think I could get on okay without it. Um, And you know what? You might be able to. And you might be able to cope. All right? Does anyone know that verse, John 10.10? Jesus says, I have come that they may have... Okay, it says life, right? It doesn't say, I have come that they may be able to cope. <laughs> it doesn't say, I have come that they may be okay. It's actually say, it actually says, I have come that they may have life and have life abundantly, all right? So here's the thing. Don't let your vision for yourself or for this church or for your neighbours or for the world for that sake be too small. You with me on that? Don't let it be too small. God's gunning for something really, really big. And that should give you some encouragement. It's like, let's go for that. Like if God's into that, that's going to happen. All right? It's like if, you know, you go out and a green ant says, has got grand plans, you just kind of go, yeah, okay. All right? But if God's got a plan to do something grand, you just want to stick with him, right? That's what we're doing here at the project. We uh, love uh, the way that God works in people to bring a, to bring a restoration of humanity. Last week, um, I showed this image, which is uh, uh, basically three different kind of anthropologies, if you want to put it that way, about humanity um, that we see in the Bible. Anthropology is just the study of humans and the way they operate and who they are. Uh, and last week, I said that you can see a, a created kind of anthropology in the Bible. It talks about what humans are like before sin came into the world. It talks about humans, what they're like after sin comes into the world. And then it talks about what humans are like and who they are after they've been redeemed or changed by Jesus. And you notice that the arrow at the bottom is kind of continuous. So the bottom line is that you have a mixture of these just about all the time. Okay. Now, I want to say something really clearly here. The project does not believe that the Bible teaches that your fallenness is gone when you come to Christ, all right? We think that there is a mortal blow and the bondage and and the slavery to it has been broken in Christ, but there's still some mopping up to go on, okay? And there's still some expression of that. Now, there's some people in the church that kind of preach and teach that you don't even have a fallen side after you become a Christian, and I think that's... I think it's wrong, okay? And I don't think the Bible teaches that. And I think the reality of yours and my life teaches that we still blow it, (laughs) all right? And that's still me. That's still me doing something. There's a Peter, there's a you uh, in there that's kind of messing with things a little bit. Last week, we looked at uh, the fact that um, humanity was originally created to be family. God God was a father and, and all the 
humanity on the earth are meant to be his children. We looked at the fact that humanity operates relationally at, at a fundamental level, right? And this is something that's really unique about the project, right? We just think that you're always opera- operating relationally with God and with each other, okay? Always. Also looked at the fact that God's called us to have dependent dominion and rulership to exercise his rule and to bring about order in the world according to, uh, to his rule and to who he is. And we also looked at the fact that people worship and, and love all of the time. People are not made to worship. People are made worshipping. They, they do it all the time. They always love, value, sacrifice, hope, pursue stuff. They do all the time and you can't stop them. It's a fire hose, it's stuck on. The only thing you can change is the direction, all right? Happens all the time. But something's broken, isn't it? You know that. I mean, the last week or two, I've heard some really brutal stories. Now, you see lots of brutal stories on the news, but who knows that sometimes you can hear brutal stories about people you know, and you just go, no, that, this is like, that just takes it a whole new level. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It just does. You know, you just go, man, this world... It's, we're playing for keeps, you know. We're not mucking around here. Something has busted this world. The movie uh, uh, I Am Legend is a movie about a virus that was created for the purpose of eradicating cancer. So they set this virus loose. It's got Will Smith in it. They set this virus loose, loose um, in, the, in the human population and for a few years it does a great job. It actually cures people of cancer and then the virus mutates and you know what it does is it actually dehumanizes um, pretty much everyone bar a few people who are immune to the virus and dogs yeah here's a video blog of uh, um, Will Smith in in the movie Um, he's immune to it and he's trying to work out a way to cure the rest of humanity day 1001 Uh, We came in close contact with a hive today. Blood tests confirmed that I remain immune to both the airborne and contact strains. Canines remain immune to airborne strain only. Can't go running into the dark, dummy. Vaccine trials continue. I'm still unable to transfer my immunity to infected hosts. Crippen virus is elegant just fishing in the dark son Hmm. Uh, behavioral note Um, an infected male exposed himself to sunlight today that was possible decreased brain function or Growing scarcity of food is causing them to ignore their basic survival instincts. Social de-evolution appears complete. Typical human behavior is now entirely absent. You ever felt like that? When you look at humanity, you just go, what, where did the humans go? You know? How how did we end up here? Where did the humans go? I mean, we're not quite at that stage where he's saying typical human behaviour is entirely absent. But we've moved significantly in that direction. And I want to ask the question, a rhetorical question, what 
what is the virus that's dehumanized us? Well, it's Genesis 3, isn't it? It's, it's Adam and Eve. It's, it's, we don't want to do it your way anymore. We're going to do it our way, thanks. And we'll turn, we'll turn away from you and we'll do it our way. And that's set in motion a virus that has dehumanized society. It's dehumanized people ever since. And, you know, two words, I think, that sum up uh, pretty well the effects of, of sin are uh, fragmented and disordered. You know what a fragment is? A fragment is a broken piece or a part of something. It's an incomplete part. You just stop me, you just go, oh, okay, how does how is sin actually fragmented things? Well, it fragments us and God, doesn't it? I mean, you just see that, the sin there between Adam and Eve. It's like, no, don't eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden or you'll die. No, we'll, we'll do it our way, thanks. And all of a sudden, there's a break. There's a, there's a fragmentation of relationship with God. And who here knows that sin fragments relationships with each other? It does, right? It's just, it just kind of, man, it just gets messy. It gets really me- And it splits people. It divides people and breaks things. Who here knows that sometimes your feelings aren't always in line with the truth? <laughs> you see, sin fragments that. It's fragmented that. Sin is fragmented nature. I mean, you've got the psalmist uh, crying out to God saying, give me an undivided heart. Why does the psalmist need an undivided heart? Because he's got a heart that's running at least in two different directions. Why is it running in two different directions? Because of sin. Because sin fragments stuff. It just kind of breaks stuff and shatters stuff. You know, and then when you, you get to the word disordered, you know, the notion of disorder is that normal functioning has been disturbed. And you can look at so much stuff in our world and just go, man, there is a normal function, there's a normal way that that's meant to work, and sin's actually got in and just disturbed that and messed with that. And so we come to this reality this morning uh, about what we became and still are to some extent. So I'd, I'd love you to grab your, uh, your Bibles and uh, go to Romans chapter 1. So if you can flick over there now. Just want to look at Romans 1. Look, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, it's like any other book. It has contents in the front. Go to the contents page, look for the word Romans, look at the page number and go to that page number. All right? That's cool. Romans 1, we're going to start reading at verse 18 because what we actually see in Genesis 3 is a disordering of worship. Starting at verse 18 of Romans 1. If you haven't got a Bible, feel free to go and grab one. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Who here knows that sometimes you can try and talk to people but they don't want to hear the truth? Who knows that, right? Humans do that, right? So you can tell them. You can tell them till you're blue in the face. It's like, and if someone doesn't want to hear the truth, they'll just suppress it, right? And so Paul's kind of saying, that's what humans do with God. I mean, an example of it, and this is the example Paul's going to use, right? Like, why would you look at our world and automatically assume it happened by accident? And that there wasn't an intelligent being involved in creating it. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It actually takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe that someone intelligent actually made it. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honour Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Like you ought to just get a bit of a sense of horror there at that point, all right? This amazing, incredible God, people exchange that for a creeping thing. That's right. Good plan. Like let's, I mean, there's a temple in India where people worship rats. So, really? Like that, I mean, that's the height of insult, isn't it? To worship rats as opposed to God. Some of you are going, I like rats. Um, Therefore God gave them up, verse 24, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now here's, I just want to make this quick comment. Sexual disorder is a worship problem. Okay? It just is. It doesn't matter whether it's um, a homosexual couple or a lesbian couple or a teenager who has sex before marriage or a husband or a wife that commits adultery in marriage, they're all worship disorders, okay? That's what Paul's saying. Like you get your worship wrong and what you end up doing with your body goes wrong. Now, whether it has to do with sexuality or not. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonourable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error and since they did not see fit to acknowledge god god gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done what's god doing you really want that you can have it <laughs> like they're worshiping so it's like yeah you can just go for that you know go hell for leather you're going to really it's going to kill you, but you really want it. And I'm just going to release you to go and get what you really want. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, I always love to tell kids that that one's alongside murder, um, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You know what we've got here? We've got a disordering of worship. Adam and Eve have turned in on themselves, they've ceased to worship and centre their lives around the Creator, They've turned in on themselves, they've worshipped themselves and then we've ended up with a situation where humanity just grabs whatever idol tickles our fancy and we just kind of go after that. Listen to what Martin Luther says about this. Our nature, by the corruption of the first sin being so deeply curved in on itself, the Latin phrase in curvitus in se, that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself and enjoys them, as is plain in the works righteousness and the hypocrites, or rather even uses God himself in order to attain these gifts, but it also fails to realise that it so wickedly, curvedly and viciously seeks all things, even God for its own sake. What's Luther saying? He's saying, um, partly it's like humans are actually created to push outwards and to kind of be extrospective. And what actually happened is humanity curved in on themselves and then they start gathering people and things to serve that end. Does that make sense? Even God. 
So this is like, I mean, you've got to be careful at this point, right? If you pray only when you need God to give you a hand, is that a curving outwards toward God or a curving inwards toward my plans? Well, it's likely a curving inwards toward my plans. Do you get that? It's like you're pulling God into your service. It's like, God, I'll let you know, like today, look, it's going to be tough, but I think I'll be okay, you know, and I'll let you know if I've got a problem. It's like, what are you doing? Well, at that point, probably what you're doing is you're just living out your own life and your own story. Maybe you curved in on yourself and it's like, God, maybe you can come in and help me when it doesn't go very well. And we grab stuff, we grab other things, we kind of pull it in and we get them to serve our self-worshipping ends. Listen to this. Um, from Romans 1, 22 to 25. See, just have a look actually for me at verse 25 if you've still got it open. Humanity exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Here's the thing. Let me make this really clear. Creation, creator. You worship one of those all of the time. All of the time. There's no exceptions. You are either worshipping what he's created or you're worshipping him. That's it. Okay? Now, the way that he's made things to work, and we looked at this last week, is that God continuously outpours his character and who he is toward his people. And the way God's made this to work is he outpours and people are meant to be an arrow that faces back toward him and just going, yeah, we worship you and we love you and we're connected with you and we're in relationship with you. But that's not what we find in our world, is it? we find human beings become unceasing worshippers. But they worship, well, they are unceasing worshippers, but they don't worship God. They worship idols. They worship false gods. She's not around as much anymore, but I have to play this clip for you. This is Lady Gaga, all right? And uh, yes, I've blurred out part of it because her fashion sense is not what you'd call particularly modest. Um, and she's actually well known for her immodesty. Uh, but she says what everyone else is doing, I think, but isn't necessary, doesn't really have the guts maybe to say as clearly as what she does. Um, she was on the Ellen Show. Here we go. I'm so excited because the Monster Ball is it's almost over. I'm very sad, though. I'm very sad. It's only a few shows left. and She needs a rescue, guys. I've done over 210 Monster Balls. Wow. And you love it. I love it. And every night I feel reinvigorated by the crowd. And we just, it's just such a, it's such an incredible experience. And I think what inspired writing Born This Way, my new album, so much was that uh, pop culture is our religion. And through self-worship in terms of your identity and, and through uh honoring your identity and really fighting for who you are every single day of your life down to your core, uh, you can have more faith and more hope in life and in the future. Uh, let me say a couple of things really clearly. The gospel that Gaga preaches will send you to hell. All right? Let's just be clear about that. That's where it's going to go. Uh, and the second thing is that she sounds a lot like the devil. All right? She is not the devil. Okay, some might think that she goes pretty close, but she's not the devil, but she sounds a lot like the devil in Genesis uh, chapter 3. Here's the bottom line. Sin is not just behavior. 
Sin is an affair with a false god. That's what it is. It always starts with worshipping and loving something more than God. You always operate, always, 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 always operate relationally. You are always doing something with God. Now, you're either worshipping Him and inclined toward Him and centering your life on Him, or you're loving a false God in preference. I remember um, talking with a student uh, a number of years ago, and uh, unbeknownst to him, I don't know whether he noticed or not, but on the window behind where I was sitting, I had this A4 piece of paper that was, had all worship words written on it, like love, pursue, obey, serve, sacrifice, get identity from. Uh, they're all worship concepts from the Bible, right? It's just black and white, just text down this page, right? So we're sitting there and we're talking. And he hadn't been diagnosed with it, but there's a, a psychological diagnosis called the Adonis complex, which is kind of like a male... I've got to be careful here. It's kind of a male version, kind of, it, it's kind of a male version of anorexia for females, if that makes sense. And, and I don't want to say that to cheapen it, but the Adonis complex is like, it's a body image obsession uh, for males that center around kind of uh, weightlifting and bodybuilding and being ripped and all that sort of stuff, right? This guy was so into it. And he just sat there and he just told me about how... I mean, the guy had quiet times, you know, and his quiet time was going in front of the mirror and kind of flexing his muscles and meditating on his his muscles and how his body looked with a shirt off. And it was, you know, he just talked about his identity and how it mattered to him, what he looked like when he walked down the street, what other males did in response to him. And I sat... It was like an hour. It was a fascinating chat. And then right at the end of it, I said to this guy, I said, listen, man, I said, you know something I've just realised? Uh, in this conversation with you is you're just as religious as I am and he wasn't a Christian I said you're just as religious as I am I said we've just got a different God and I pointed to the words up on the on the window behind me and I said you're doing all of those things with your body that I'm wanting to do with Jesus and you know what he said to me he goes yeah he goes I think you're right I think you're exactly right he goes I am just as as religious as you and he's a worshipper that's what he is. He, he offers worship and he loves things, uh, even though it's not God himself. Listen to this from Harold Best. Got a really poetic way of putting it here. The fall did not signal the end of worship or continuous outpouring. Something deeper happened far down in our being whereby our entirety was inverted and turned to ruin. We chose to believe a lie spoken by one with whom truth is impossible but who skillfully dresses falsehood in light. I mean, who knows that sometimes you have temptations that come to you and you just go, that sounds really good. And you know that Jesus said that the devil lies all the time and he speaks lies the way that we speak English, right? But a temptation comes and you go, that's a good plan, let's do that. It's like, idiot, he never says anything true. He's just lying and up to stuff all the time, all right? Don't be so dumb and this is kind of what happened to humanity. We took to this reverse light and we're immediately lost and undone. Our outpouring was falsified, but it continued. With one telling difference, we exchanged gods. We turned from the only one who is not creature and were left, not in a persisting vacuum, this would have been a premature hell, but with a new plethora, the universe of innumerable false gods, false religions and the religionizing of anything that catches our fancy. You know, G.K. Chesterton once said that when a man stops believing in God, he doesn't then believe in nothing, he believes in anything. And that's what happens. That's what we do. 
John Calvin actually said, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us is, from his mother's womb, expert in inventing idols. It's not something you want to be an expert at. And then, if you like going to Clifford Gardens, just for something totally different, you could go there and you could find advertisements like this a few years ago. It's uh, Jim Beam Devil's Cut and the tagline at the top there, let the worshipping begin. Disordered worship. That's where we sit. And if you were here last week, you'd remember that I kind of said that in, in a theological sense, in the Bible, that worship and love are synonymous in the scriptures uh, a lot of the time with regard to God. So then we start thinking, okay, so is that what we see? Is that what we see with humanity? Is humanity runs off and they love things that they shouldn't love. Is that, do you see that? They love things they shouldn't love? They love things too much? Well, Augustine was ahead of you. Listen to this. This will be a bit confusing, but just hang with it, right? But living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things. To love things, that is to say, in the right order, so that you do not love what is not to be loved, or fail to love what is to be loved, or have a greater love for what should be loved less, or an equal love for things that should be loved less or more, or a lesser or greater love for things that should be loved equally. What's he saying? He's saying humanity has a way of loving things wrongly. We either love something too much when we should love it less, or we don't love something enough and we should love it more, or sometimes we love things equally and we shouldn't be loving them equally. You know what Augustine is really saying? He's going, it's the love of God that orders all of your other loves in your life. If you don't get that right, your other loves get disordered. He's a governor. God is a governor The love of God governs all of your other loves in your life because we always love something. There's always something that we orient our lives around. Is anyone here an Alan Jackson fan? Yeah, a couple. Is anyone, anyways, I don't even know who Alan Jackson is. So you may be blessed. I don't know. I I haven't listened to a lot of Alan Jackson music. He's a country singer. I probably just offended the people who, who know of Alan Jackson. Is he, good? is he a good singer? Yeah, excellent. Thank you. He, uh, he wrote this uh, verse in one of his songs, and I think it is so... That's just perfect. Everything I love is killing me. Cigarettes, Jack Daniels, and caffeine. And that's the way you're turning out to be. And yeah, some of you love to have a... Someone who loves you say that. Everything I love, going to have to give up because everything I love is killing me. See, that, I think that's a pretty good statement about humanity, is that the things that we love are the things that are killing us. And we can love just about anything, right? Is that true? Humanity can love just about anything. Well, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to show you a clip of a guy from SBS Insight talking about the things that he loves. Now, he uses the word addictions, right? But just hear the word worship, slave, love, all right? <laughs> Tonight we're talking about addiction, obsession, habits, why some people get hooked on things when others don't. And uh, Ben, you're 25, you've had a 10-year battle with addiction. Let's hear what you told our producer, Johnny Liu, about that. Ben was 15 when he first started smoking marijuana. 
I loved everything about it. I loved the way it tasted, the way it smoked, the way it smelt. It became a daily habit straight away almost. The habit turned to dependence. I'd feel lost. I'd feel sad. I'd, I'd wouldn't know what to do with myself. I'd get anxious and lonely and bored. I'd be agitated. I would wonder when I was getting my next one. I'd fantasise about how I was going to get it and where I was going to get the money from. At 17, Ben began injecting methamphetamine. You physically needed it to feel whole again. Um, without it, you were a depressed wreck, basically. Ben injected for two years before breaking the habit, going cold turkey. But at 21, he began smoking ice. I could smoke 1500 bucks away in one night and then I'd have nothing all week. I would have killed for it. I would have killed for it. As well as his addiction to drugs, Ben has a love of computer games. I got the same adrenaline rush from it that I would from speed and, and from my compulsive behaviour. I got, you know, I got the same amounts of anger for a game not going my own way. Um, I, I, I had to have it. You get a high out of it, you know, you get a, you get a feeling from it, you know. You used to get off of them shaking with this big rush after playing racing games and RPGs and I'd get a rush out of it. I wasn't paying my bills, I wasn't eating, I wasn't drinking, I'd smoke cigarettes, I'd smoke so many cigarettes, and I'd just sit there and play. Um, you, you know, you forget to, to lead your life, you forget, to, you forget about life. And um, I'm an addict, I'm a full-blown chronic addict. Yeah. Um, I can get addicted to anything that gives me joy. I can get addicted to Tupperware if I liked it. Um, it that, that's the funny thing with addiction. So I'm not even making this up, but someone texted me um, only like about half an hour ago saying that they've got a, they had a relative that just died a little while ago and they were addicted to Tupperware. So I, I, don't, I didn't even know that was possible. But... I mean, look at this guy. I mean, what, what do you see? What do you see in this guy? You see someone who's a lover. You see someone, and I'm not in a sexual way. I'm not talking about that. You see someone who just loves stuff and someone who worship thing, worships things, things in particular for him that give him joy. And you can see there, like, you're sitting there and you're going, okay, so now I need to go home and repent of my Tupperware collection or something, right? And some of you go, well, hang on. Like, it's not bad to own Tupperware, right? Let's have an altar call for anyone who owns Tupperware this morning. Like, that would be weird, right? It's not bad to own Tupperware. What's the problem? Well, the problem is kind of what Augustine said before. Uh, John Calvin kind of says something similar when he says that uh, we teach that all human desires are evil and charge them with sin, not in that they are natural, but because they're inordinate. So what he's saying there is the problem with human desire is not really that it's evil as much as the fact it's too big. All right? It gets too big and it gets too intense and we want stuff too much and it becomes a centre, kind of orienting centre of our lives. So that's point number one. The rest will be a little bit quicker. Second one's this. We actually see in the form that humanity's dominion has been disordered. Romans one twenty five there says, uh, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and... What's the next word? Served, right? The creature... 
Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, God made it really clear that He was giving humanity dominion over created things, all right? You're not meant to serve created stuff. That's not how it's meant to work. Like, that guy's not meant to be serving a computer game. No one's meant to be serving Tupperware, and I know there'd be a yay and amen from a whole bunch of you there, right? But you're not meant to be serving stuff that's been created. You're meant to actually have dominion over that stuff. You're not meant to serve your car because you love your car so much that you've actually become a slave to it. You with me? You're not meant to do that. That's not how it's meant to work. You're meant to exercise God's rulership and dominion over creation for His glory and for everyone's good. That's what you're meant to do, not be a slave to it. That guy there on that video that you just saw, and I'm not bagging him because I think he needs mercy, that guy on there is not fully human at that point. Like, I hope you got that. Like, you're sitting there and you're just going, man, you are not what you are meant to be. You are not meant to be a slave to that stuff. You're not meant to be stuck in that stuff. There's a couple of photos from uh, Time magazine a little while ago. The caption there reads, um, this is Afghanistan. It's, uh, it was an article about uh, poppy poison, basically. And in Afghanistan, they actually cultivate and grow a lot of heroin poppies over there. And the caption here is, addicts shelter in bomb buildings within sight of Kabul's presidential palace i mean think about the contrast there does that look human to you in the bottom left you got three people huddled under a blanket heroin has dominion over them inside of the riches of a palace like that that's an amazing contrast isn't it it's just like that's that's weird like that i hope that you look at that and you go well that that's not human that's not what God created humanity to be like. He didn't create him to be a slave to that. And then this. Have you ever been to a restaurant where there's a group of people out to dinner and everyone's looking at their phone? Have you? Have you ever noticed that? You go, like 12 people are going out to dinner and 10 people are on their phones. Now, some of you are going, nah, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm leaving this church. I'm not coming back next week. What about a husband and wife? You ever seen a, a couple that love each other go out to dinner? And it's like, finally, we get a night away from the kids and they both sit there on Facebook, on separate phones. They don't even share the phone. Have you ever seen that? Some of you are going, no, this is not resonating with me. I don't think it looks particularly human when you see that sort of stuff. All right? We, uh, we were on holidays at the, uh, at the coast a little while ago. We were up at Kings Beach at Calandra, walking along the footpath. Anyone knows Kings Beach? You know the big freighters, like ocean freighters kind of come in. They come in really close to the coast. Uh, it was just, it was the middle of winter, magnificent day, 19, 20 degrees, sun shining, beautiful white sand, just pristine ocean, cracking big freighter right there. And this person won't stop looking at their phone and they're sitting on a park bench right in front of that. Do you get what I'm saying? Some of you are going to go, I'm going to watch Thunder Gillen, because I'm sure he's going to look at his phone sometime today. That's not what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the fact that it looks like we get enslaved to it, and you miss stuff that's magnificent because you're enslaved to it. 
Now, that's one corruption of dominion, is to become a slave, right? Do you know what another corruption of dominion is? Become a control freak. And it's, it's like, yay and amen. You know, and everyone's sitting there going, isn't it so good to be in a church when no one has issues with control? <laughs> you know what being a, a control freak is? It's kind of like, I'm not sure that my story is going to end up the way that it needs to end up, or this thing's not going to operate the way it's meant to operate, so I'm just going to make sure that everything goes the way it's meant to go. So it ends up where it's meant to end up. Some people are a bit like this saying, I'm not really a control freak, but can I show you the right way to do that? <laughs> it's a good photo. <laughs> are you a control freak? <laughs> and then I thought I'd show you something I think is a Toowoomba ad, Workwear Discounts. Um, I, I might just roll this and make a couple of comments. These men needed five new work shirts. We gave them $300 each and sent them shopping. The man on the left went to and bought five famous brand work shirts. With his change, he was able to buy two beers. The man on the right phone workwear discounts on 1-300-720-366 and bought five comparable work shirts. With his change, he bought 120 beers. If you shop at workwear discounts, please drink responsibly. <laughs> like, go help. We're going to help you worship beer, all right? That's what we're doing at Workwear Discounts. We're helping you worship beer, but don't get enslaved to it. Do you get what I'm saying? doesn't make sense. You go back to Romans 1.25, you see the mechanism that goes on where someone worships something that's not God. Is it's, it's essentially a lie. You're embracing a lie. And who knows that when you embrace a lie, it's easy to embrace another lie. And then another one. And it's easy just to snowball in the lies that you embrace. And so you can see that the way that this false worship thing works is it actually becomes a repeating trap. And it is a kind of slavery and an addiction that's really, really difficult to get out of because you just want to keep doing it. Because you think it's true, you think it's right. Isaiah 44 verse 20 has this piercing comment about um, people who worship idols... He feeds on ashes, a deluded heart has led him astray and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Like you get so deluded with it, you don't even know that just over here, you've got a lie and you're holding on to a lie. Like you get so deceived by it and you think it's right. That's the nature of what deception is. You think it's right when it's not. Number three, Disordered imaging, can you crack your Bibles open into, into the middle there? So if you just open up to Psalm 115, Psalm 115, starting at verse 4. So you become what you worship, all right? That's the way God always made it to be. You worship Him and you image him. You worship a false god, you image that false god and you kind of become the thing that you worship. So Psalm 115, starting at verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk and they do not make a sound in their throat. 
And listen to this verse, verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Have you ever noticed that God calls his people Israel stiff-necked people a lot of the time? Why do you reckon he calls them stiff-necked people? Anyone know? Yeah. So what's the animal that has a stiff neck? Like, it, it's a cow, right? Or an ox. All right? Now, at this point in time, just start kind of tracking back and you just kind of go, oh, hang on. So now we actually might have a bit of a connection to the idol that they worshipped. You get what I'm saying? Like, they actually start to take on some of the characteristics of the God that they worship. And you can see here that the psalmist is kind of saying, when you worship something that's false, you become dumb, deaf, blind, stupid. And I'm not saying that people who've got those things are stupid, but that's an idol is stupid. It can't do anything. It can't move. It can't talk. It can't listen. It can't see. It can't do anything. And the psalmist is going, when you worship something that's false, you become like that. Now, that's absolutely true spiritually. But do you know it's actually true practically in the way that you live life? Take, for example, just think for a moment about the last time that you got really angry. Okay? Now, it might have been, in a small percentage of cases, it might have been a really appropriate anger, but most anger is not. Okay? Most anger is, I want something and I'm not getting what I want, and I'll start to use force to get what I want. And I'll start intimidating people to try and get what I want. Is everyone with me so far? Let me use the example if you've got, if you had kids, all right? And I know that this has happened to me heaps and heaps of times. There's something that you want. You start to grasp it really tightly, right? It's going to grab this thing really, really tightly. I want this, I want this, I want this. And the more that I'm not getting it, the more I hold on tightly to it. And do you know what's happening at that moment? Pretty much everything else that's going on in the world, you're missing. Except for stuff that's associated with what you want. Is that, is that true? And sometimes people can come up after, afterwards and go, hey, I actually said this to you in the middle of that. Do you remember me saying, no, nah, I don't remember anything because the only thing I was hearing was what was to do with what I wanted. And sometimes if you've got kids, your kids come up to you and they kind of need a bit of a, a tender touch or someone to be compassionate and they kind of get burnt and kind of pushed away, metaphorically, maybe even physically, because you want this thing. And it's like, did you see that someone needed you? Did you see that your kids were struggling? Did you see that your wife or your husband was struggling? No, I didn't see anything. I couldn't see anything or say anything or do anything outside of the thing that I was grasping a hold of at that point in time. Is it, do you understand what I'm talking about? It's kind of how it works. And you become deaf, dumb, not moving, <laughs> blind to anything except the idol or the thing that you actually want. You image the thing that you worship. We image stuff that we worship. We look like it. Here's the thing. If you worship a phone, by definition, the way that God's made you, you cannot ever have more value than a phone. And most phones are worthless in about three years. True? You can't. You just can't. You can't have any more value than that. That's the way that God's made it to work. Same with a car. You might worship your car. It's like, well, you're going to start imaging it and you've now just put a cap on the level of value that you can have. 
We see this in Jeremiah 2, verse 4 to 5. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? Listen to this. And went after worthlessness, idols, and became worthless. You become what you worship. I'm going to skip that. Sorry, are you okay? It's a bit loud, that one. Number four, disordered dependency. Now, I'm not going to read this scripture, but James 4 is really clear. You know, James is kind of saying, here's a deal. There's a whole bunch of you out there, and you just think you can go and do stuff. You know, you think that you're just autonomous. It's like, oh, we're going to go to this town and this city. We'll do this or that. We're just going to be able to do it. We'll be able to get that sorted out. And listen to what he says at the end. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So if you get up in the morning, if this has ever happened to you even once in your life, right? We'll just go for one. If you've ever gotten up in the morning and you've thought, I've got all these things I need to do in my day, and you start kicking into it, right? You're resourceful, you're a gifted person, you can do the stuff that's in front of you, and you didn't even think, even one day in, in the whole of your life, you didn't even think to talk to God about it and to operate in dependency upon Him as you do those things. You've, got a, you've had a disordered dis- dependency at some point in time in your life. Because you weren't meant to be like that. You weren't meant to get up in the morning and just go, I'll get all this sorted. If I hit something that's too hard, I'll call the boss in. All right? The joke uh, I often say, and it's kind of true, is that the higher you get up in leadership in an organisation, the more problems you get that no one else can solve. All right? And it's, it's actually pretty well true. All right? And the top boss gets all the ones that everyone else is going, I don't know what to do. And we're like that a little bit with God. It's like, oh, we'll just have a crack. And if we need the boss to come and give us a hand, we'll let him know. That's not how you are made to operate. But it's the way that falling humanity has a tendency to operate. And here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. Is that God made you for himself and he made you needy. Before sin even came into the world, he made you to connect with him in a way that is going to meet a whole bunch of needs that you have in your life. All right? He actually made you dependent upon him. So here's the problem. If you disconnect from him, you still have all these areas that you've been made to be dependent upon him, but you're not connected to him anymore. Do you see the problem? So what do you do? Well, if you're smart, if, if you and I were smart, we'd just go, well, that's dumb. That's like a 240 volt socket and that's a plug. And if I plug it in, the toaster works. Like, let's just reconnect those. That would be a good plan. But no, we don't, do we? It's like humanity just thinks, let's just go plugging that thing into anything. So we're plugging it into mushrooms and grapefruits. Do you get what I'm saying? And then we, what is wrong with this toaster? I want to get this toaster working and I'm plugging it into stuff and nothing's working. What do we do? We actually go looking for other saviours to help us in the, in the areas that God's made us to be dependent upon him. Isaiah 44, follow this with me. Uh, the idol maker makes a god and worships it. He's being very sarcastic, Isaiah here. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, so you guys do that at home. I know you do secretly. You put the fire on in wintertime and then you sit down and you go, Aha, I am warm. 
I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. So we find gods to save us. We, we turn things into gods to save us um, because of these dependencies that God's created us with that we're not plugging into him with. And you can do that with food. Uh, and you'll hear from this lady. Uh, she will talk about that. Here we go. Lynette, I, I want to broaden this out a bit because you had a different problem. Uh, tell us about that and whether any of this sounds familiar to you, given the problem you had. Sure. Um, my problem was um, low self-esteem, which manifested itself in, for me, a lot of stress in my life. And I found, in order to deal with the stress, I found myself literally addicted to eating because when I ate, I felt better. Now, I, from listening to the world of Warcraft, where you improve yourself as a person and you feel better and you feel better, um, I can hear the self I'm not saying that there's any self-esteem issues, but I can hear that self-esteem being improved, improved. Um, and my feeling of low self-esteem led me to eat in, an order, in order to dampen down my stress, which made me feel better. Okay, and when you say overeating, how yes. much were you overeating? Oh, goodness, I could down a couple of bags of chips and a couple of chocolate bars in, in one go, or if I'd cooked a meal and it might have been spread over a few nights, if I was very upset, I could have easily eaten that whole meal in one go. I was never hungry. It was just in a way to help me to cope and to help me to feel better, and unfortunately it did. It, it did make me feel better in the short term, but then clearly afterwards, then you have to deal with all the guilt and all of those issues. So it didn't actually help her, her saviour, right? And here's the thing, you, you go, you turn something else into a saviour. I mean, scriptures are really clear that there is no other saviour that exists than Jesus Christ, than God himself, all right? You turn something else into a saviour, it's not going to work for you, okay? So what you've got here with this lady, she's kind of going, uh, when I turn food into a saviour, it kind of works for a little bit and then it kind of looks like to me, it looks like when she um, eats to help her feel better about herself, then what actually happens is, I'm assuming that she's putting on weight and then her things that she worships kind of go to war against each other. Do you get what I'm saying? Because in our culture, it's, it's uncool, you know? And so the... the the, the need to feel better with the low self-esteem kind of clashes with the expectations of our, our culture. Sin fragments us, it creates needs in us, it exacerbates our dependencies and we become like mad people in a life raft on the ocean who keep drinking the salty water because they're so thirsty, don't we? Just go shoving stuff in, let's shove that in there. That'll be good. That's going to help. And it might for like 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's, now it's hurting. Now it's no, not good. Now I've got to find something else to shove in there. And we just keep shoving stuff in there, right? And here's the bottom line. Some of you might go, yeah, but don't people in the world uh, kind of do that? People who don't follow Jesus and they're okay? We're not gunning for okay, <laughs> all right? And God's not gunning for okay. He's gunning for abundant life. You do not get abundant life by shoving stuff in there to save you that's not Jesus. You get abundant life, and it's difficult to work it into your life in the details, I grant that, but you get abundant life by Jesus and going to Jesus to save you. Here's the last point. Now, 
Anyone know what the, the second recorded sin is in the Bible? It's murder. See that? See, the first sin was a turning of worship away from God. And what actually happened at that point? Straight off the bat, you've got a fragmentation going on in God's family. All right? God the Father is no longer connected to his kids. What are they doing? Well, they're running off and they're making dumb clothes out of fig leaves and hiding in bushes that he can see through. All right? That's what they're doing. doesn't make any sense at all. Okay? They're skipping around doing dumb stuff. Right? And then what actually happens is you see fragmentation starting to happen within that family itself. A couple of brothers get really annoyed with each other, like really annoyed. And one of them kills the other one. And you see an ongoing fragmentation that sin has actually created and propagated in God's family. Now, I'm going to show you a scripture that you know really well, all right? But I think the writer of this passage, and the reason why I haven't put it up, is because you know it well and you're kind of reading it, oh, yeah, it's nice, all right? But this is like, it ought to make you gasp. Because <laughs> I think when, when the disciple John wrote it, that's what he meant to happen. He meant to just like, when you read this, it's almost just for a second should take your breath away in like a really terrible way. You're just kind of, really? Is that what happened? Here it is. It's out of John, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1. The true light, Jesus, gives light to everyone, was coming in the world which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Listen to this. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Like, just think about that. He was already in it and present in it and the whole thing was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Like, that's your first gasp at that point. You just go, what? What? Like, you ought to just sit there and just go, how on earth could that be? How could that be that Jesus was already in the world and the whole thing was made by him and the world did not know him. And then this, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. You see, sin fragments families. And if any, any of you here have sensed that isolation the fragmentation that sin actually brings in close relationships, you need to know that Jesus gets you. In fact, he gets you so well that you don't get him. Because that doesn't make sense to me. Like what? Like he's the brother, right? Hebrews tells us that Jesus is your brother. Like how, how, how is that even possible that your brother shows up and you just go and you don't want any piece of him? <laughs> See you, champ. <laughs> See ya. Don't even know who you are. Sin destroys families and dehumanizes. I want to show you a, uh, a clip to finish off. A bit of a uh, parental advisory clip, this one. Um, so feel free to take your kids out if you want. It's a clip out of uh, Lord of the Rings that kind of maps the transition from uh, Smeagol to, to Gollum. And uh, he, he kills someone uh, along the way. And... Um, eats a live fish so it's a it's a bit gross and i think it's a bit gross because it's meant to be a, a bit gross so happy if anyone wants to just kind of uh, duck out the back you're welcome to do that or if you've got kids that you think it'd be good for them not to be here um but that that's i've told you the worst so um 
look, the thing I really want you to look for is, is just listen to the last kind of paragraph at the end of the clip, all right? The last kind of paragraph that, that, uh, that Gollum says. You saw it, right? I mean, it's, it's gross and it's meant to be gross and it's this whole thing of Smeagol loving something that rules him. And yet you heard those words at the end there. We, we forgot the sound of the wind in the trees. We, we forgot the softness of the wind. We forgot what the taste of bread was like. We even forgot our own name. So what are we to do at this point? If that's what's actually happened to humanity, that we've been dehumanised by the things that we love, that we want, what are we to do? Well, I want to finish on some good news. Last week I said that uh, Genesis, the book of Genesis is unclear about defining exactly what it means that we're made in God's image. And uh, a scholar who spent a lot of work on it, a theologian called Stanley Grenz, he's a Baptist guy uh, from the States, spent a lot of time working on it. And you know, he makes this comment. He says this, he says, he thinks the reason why Genesis doesn't describe exactly what being made in God's image is, is because the image of God in man was going to be completely fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ when he came to the earth. And, and Grenz actually says that Jesus is the true human. Adam and Eve were true humans, but that was lost. And Grenz says now Jesus is actually the true human. And when you go to the New Testament, you find these strange scriptures like this one in Colossians 1 verse 15, which says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is the great hope, isn't it, for us? for us who have been dehumanised, is that someone who is the true human will come to rescue us. Someone who's not stained by our stuff. Someone who hasn't been dehumanised is actually able to come as the true human and to live everything the way it's meant to happen to save us, right? And go to a cross and on that cross get dehumanised by us and by our stuff. That's what happened, right? He goes onto the cross and all of the sins of all the people that will trust in Christ for, for salvation get put on him and he gets dehumanised to the point where Isaiah says he was unrecognisable at the end of it all. He did that for you. This is what we needed, right? We needed a true human who could do that. And he, and he came. And like, you can just get on your chair right now if you want to and start screaming, all right? Because that's how good this news is. For people who got stuck in, in Gollum land, Jesus, to use that metaphor, became Gollum for you so that you could be Smeagol. <laughs> he became dehumanized so that you could be human again.